so we've we've come this far. We have existed as a church for several years now, um, but I've never actually preached on John 15. So when people ask us, you know, well, what church are you a part of? What church did you start? Um, we say the Vine Church. And, you know, some people around here say, oh, Divine Church? And, no, no, not Divine Church. The Vine, like I am the Vine, you are the branches. And so, but I've never actually preached on John 15, and so I figured... What better time to do that than now? We finished our series through Romans last week, um, and that took about 30 weeks or so. Um, And so in this little season before we start something new, um, at the beginning of the year, I figured, well, this is a good time to explain why we have the name that we have, what it means for us. Um, You can see on our logo, I point this out hopefully pretty often, but there are Two different ways that we say try to say the same thing. On the bottom there of the logo, it says gospel, community, and mission. We exist to proclaim the gospel, to build each other up in community, and to send each other out on mission. To proclaim the gospel, to build each other up in community, and to send each other out on mission. Another way that we put that is over here, um, is we are connected in Christ as a community on mission. And so that connection to Christ is what the vine is all about. If you haven't already turned to John 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I'll read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll come back and kind of look at it verse by verse. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So why are we called the vine? Well, because we intend to be a people who are connected in Christ. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, Jesus is saying. Now, the context of where he's saying this is he has just had the Passover meal, the Last Supper, the original Last Supper, uh, with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, Chapters 13 and 14 disclose that upper room discourse, as it's called by scholars. But now, at the end of chapter 14, you see that he says, rise, let us go from here. Just the last few words before chapter 15 starts. Rise, let us go from here. So now he's walking, not in the upper room, but outside, basically on his way to the garden of Gethsemane, where he is going to, as it were, sweat drops of blood and praying and knowing and understanding what is about to happen and how he is about to be betrayed 
by Judas. It talks about that in chapters 13 and 14. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And, and the disciples don't know who that is. Which one? He says, one of you, one of the 12 is going to betray me. And the 12 are looking around at each other like, uh, did you sign up for that? I did, you know, you got some plans going on that I wasn't aware of. I, who is this? And even it has um, John asking Jesus, saying, hey, Jesus, who is it? Um, and Jesus is like, oh, check this out. I'm going to give this guy the bread and it's going to be him. And it's Judas Iscariot. We know, we know this is about to happen. And it's interesting that Judas is actually not with them when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 15. Judas has already gone out to go meet the priests, to go get his 30 silver coins, to then come back and kiss Jesus and betray him, hand him over to the chief priests and the scribes and the soldiers. So Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he is about to be betrayed. And he says, I am the true vine. Now this I am, I'm going to start there with just even those, those two words take you back to the Old Testament in Exodus. There's this guy named Moses and he's a shepherd and he's taking care of his sheep. And all of a sudden he sees this strange sight. It's a burning bush, but the bush isn't being consumed by the fire, by the flame. And so he goes to check it out and God speaks to him. And he says, Moses, I've chosen you. I'm going to send you to save my people out of slavery, to deliver my people. And Moses is like, ah, I think you've got the wrong guy. You know, and, and God's like, no, 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 you're the right guy. You can do this because I'm really the one who's going to do it. You're just my mouthpiece. And, uh, you know, Moses still gives him a little bit of grief. And, and Moses says, how are they going to know? How are these people, the Israelites, who are slaves in Egypt, going to know that you have sent me? Am I just going to supposed to show up and say, hey, guys, look at me. God sent me. We're going to do some great things together. You know, I mean, like, give me something to back it up. And so what God gives him is his name. God gives Moses God's name. And what it says there, and if you've watched, you know, I know it's Easter, not Christmas, whenever they like to show the Ten Commandments on whatever channel they show it on, on regular network TV. But can just hear God speaking to Charlton Heston saying, I am who I am, or I am that I am. You look there in Exodus. That's what God says. I am is his name. Literally, Yahweh, those four, there are four consonants in the Hebrew. Um, that's what the name means. It means I am. It means I was. It's not even just uh, a present tense. It includes past tense, present, and future. That one name includes all of time and beyond time. I was, I am, and I will be. And Jesus, this isn't the first time that he has said, I am, in the Gospel of John. There have been several instances where he has said, I am. He has said, and I'm just going to flip back so maybe I don't miss some of them. He says things such as, I am the light of the world. Right? I am the bread of life. I am that fountain of living water woman at the well that you are searching for. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. Several instances of Jesus saying, I am all of these things. And then he gives a picture of what it looks like to be God in the flesh, to be this person who is leading 
his disciples to understand who he is and what he is about to do, why he has came, why he has come, if I can use proper English. So we see Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Now, I think the reason why he says the true vine, why he says true there, is because in the Old Testament, again, God viewed his people as a vineyard that he planted, as a vine. In Isaiah chapter 5, I'll read you probably just the first couple of verses. We went over this um, a few years ago when we were still meeting in our basement uh, when we started the vine. We went through the first several chapters of Isaiah, and I really enjoyed going through those chapters together. And then Isaiah just kind of gets a little bit more difficult to preach. And so I was like, ah, I'll just stop after chapter 11. But we did go through chapter 5, and in chapter 5 is this picture. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now, this is a picture that Isaiah is giving to us, a story, as it were, of God being that one who has planted this vineyard, who has planted Israel to produce for him the fruit that he expects. But what happens? Do they produce the grapes, those choice grapes that he planted? He did all this work to clear out this area of land. He dug it out. He took away all the stones. He picked up all the thorns and thistles. And what did he get from all of that hard work and labor, from all of that preparation? He got wild grapes, which means the people didn't even respond to the very owner of the vineyard. They went and worshiped other gods is the picture that Isaiah is talking about. They turn their back on God. Israel was supposed to be the original vine that was going to sprout and bear fruit so that all the nations would know that God is Lord, that Yahweh is king, that there is no other God. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. But no, Israel failed. And much of what we see When you look at the Old Testament and try to study it and understand it in light of the New Testament, you see that there are many pictures and glimpses of what God intended to happen, but kind of failed, didn't really come to fruition. And they're just glimpses, shadows of what was to come. And so Israel being the shadow of the vine that was to come, the true vine, who is Jesus. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. So we have Jesus being the vine. And God being the vine dresser, God is the one who is tending after this vine. Verse 2 in our text says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So we have four characters now in our story that Jesus is explaining to us. He says, I am the true vine. He says, God is the vine dresser. God's the one who's looking after this. And then, then we have branches. So lest we think that we're a part of the vine church and that we are the vine. No, we're not the vine. We are a part of the vine. We are connected to the vine. We are branches. And that's where we come in, those third and fourth characters, true branches and false branches. True branches and false branches. Now, I mentioned before how 
Jesus is speaking now to the 11 disciples minus Judas. And I think one of the reasons maybe why he is saying these things to those disciples originally and then now even to us is because what are they going to do post-crucifixion, post-resurrection with the knowledge of what Judas has done? How Judas has been one of them for years. He's followed alongside of each of these disciples with Jesus. He's been attached to Jesus just like they have been. But what are they supposed to do now, right, just a few days after this, knowing that Judas has betrayed really all of them, but especially Christ? What are they supposed to do with that information? How are they supposed to know why God's doing this, what this means? And part of what Jesus is teaching them is he's saying, look, this was not unforeseen. And there will constantly be, as there has been in the Old Testament, and now even at the instigation and the beginning of the New Testament church, there will be people who are attached to God who are not truly part of God's family. There will be people who look like they are a part of the vine, but they are not. They do not belong. And the way that you can tell whether or not they truly belong, whether or not they are true branches or false branches, is by the fruit that they bear. Really, and whether or not they actually stay with you to the end. See, at least in Judas's case, he didn't stay with them. God was using Judas to accomplish his purpose, but Judas made this decision. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Judas walked away, and his walking away was evidence that he wasn't really bearing fruit, that he wasn't really connected to the vine. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you have false branches. You have people who look like they are a part of the church, who look look like they are a part of God's family, but... They're not. And then you have true fruit, true branches that bear fruit. Verse 3, he continues, says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Wash them. I think of Ephesians 5 when uh, Paul is giving encouragement teaching to husbands and wives, and he says, cleanse her through the washing of the water and the word. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you and the word that you have received. You have believed me. You have trusted in me. You have become connected to me. And if you've truly become connected to me, then things are going to happen that don't happen with other people. Things are going to happen that look different then if you're not connected, you're going to be clean and you're going to be clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And he says you're going to bear fruit. And when you bear fruit, God is going to do the work of actually pruning you so that you can bear more fruit. I know about uh, 0.5% of what it takes to farm 
just because of the time that we spent at the farmer's market over the last year plus. Talked to people. Um, I had a, a friend take me to see his, um, his garden um, several months back, and he was showing me all of his tomato plants, which grow on a vine. Um, and I was asking him, you know, well, how do you do this? What do you do? You know, how do you keep the thing to keep growing? Um, how do you make sure that only the good stuff happens? And one of the things that you do is you prune. You take away one of these things that are called suckers or sucklings, right? And these things part grow as part of the vine just naturally. It's something that happens, I think, in almost any vine where it begins to take away the nutrients and divert the attention away from the true fruit that's happening by saying, hey, look at me. I look like I'm something that needs some nourishment and some water and some nutrients, and so feed me, but it's really not ever going to produce anything. And farmers know this, and so they cut them off as soon as they see them so that it doesn't deter the water and the nutrients from getting to where they need to go so that more fruit is born. This is what God does to us. Maybe that can be a picture of the sin in our lives. If you are bearing fruit, then God is busy at work ensuring that you aren't distracted from bearing more fruit. He doesn't just want you to stop at saying, hey, look, I made one tomato. Right? I mean, what good is that? I mean, it feeds you for a day. I mean, sort of, certain nutrients, you know. But what good is that? How long is that going to last? You're just going to keep looking back. Oh, just, you remember last year that one, that one tomato? You know, I mean, and farmers, like, they get excited about, you know, sometimes they'll grow something that's twice as large as what it normally is supposed to be. I remember a friend did that to me a couple months ago. He showed me, man, check this out. You know, check out the squash. It's huge. Uh, And I'm like, oh, that's really cool, you know. But if all you ever do is think about that one giant squash that you made, what about this year? You know, I mean, you can't keep living off past successes. God doesn't want you to say, look at what you did for me 10 years ago. Look at how I grew way back then. It's how you are continuing to progress and continuing to bear fruit. God is at work pruning us, keeping us from being distracted, not just by sin, but even by other things that really aren't producing the fruit that God wants us to produce. Now, what I haven't said so far is exactly what some examples of spiritual fruit are. And I think that's where we can get into a bit of the rest of the verses. In verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We have got to be clear that the things that we accomplish in this life, if they are accomplished apart from Christ, they are not the fruit that God is looking for. They are not the things that are worthwhile. They are not the things that will have eternal significance and value. And it's easy to accomplish a lot of things apart from Christ. But when you look back on it, what did you really accomplish? What have you really done? All that time that you've spent accomplishing that thing, 
What is it worth now? And he says, look, true fruit is going to be produced because you're connected to me. I am the one who's really doing this work in you. We've said this over the last few weeks at the end of Romans. Paul says, I'm not going to talk about anything except for what Christ has done through me. Look, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the things that I have been able to do, but it's not just me doing this. And without Christ, it wouldn't be anything. It's God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. God says to us through the Apostle Paul, work hard. But it's I, I'm the one who is with you doing this work. And Jesus makes that explicit here. Jesus says, I am the one who is giving you the nutrients you need, the chances that you need, the opportunities that you need to really bear significant, real, true fruit. What is true fruit? Well, it's abiding in Christ. That's what he says. Abide in me. It's abiding in Christ. I think if we were to say it, there are two different types of fruit. If we want to put it this way, and we will, because I decided so. Say there's external fruit and internal fruit. External fruit and internal fruit. Many of us can focus on one or the other, but I think it's important that we focus on both, and I think we have both here in our text. External fruit is obeying God's commands, outwardly living our life in such a way that we are obedient to His commands. We found some of his commands in here. Or even maybe if you just read verse 12, a little bit beyond our text. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I mean, so we can obey these external commands. Love one another. Do these actions to show other people that God cares for them, that God has cared for you, and that now you are caring for them because God is giving you the strength and opportunity to do that. External actions. We can love other people. Right? Verse 9 in our text, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, if you keep my commandments. He says this external fruit that is produced in our lives. Some of the external fruit that you might think of is sharing the gospel, making disciples. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear to us that it is our mission to make disciples, and to make disciples who make disciples, to continue on bearing fruit and seeing this fruit increase and be produced in other people around us. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to encourage us to pray for these different people in our lives, like these mentors, these people who have given their time and energy to see that fruit is born in our life. They are busy making disciples of us, not just so that the fruit will end with us, but so that we will then bear fruit, mentor other people, share the gospel with other people, make disciples of people who do not yet believe, grow and build up other people in the community where you've been planted. These are options, examples of external fruit, obeying Jesus' command to love one another. A lot of us can do the work of externally looking the part. And I think some of the concern that we should have is the fact that 
we can look a certain way. I mean, Matthew, as he gives his gospel account, talks again and again. He records for us what Jesus talked about again and again. Of all of these religious figures around Jesus who looked really good on the outside, but what were they on the inside? Right? He calls them whitewashed tombs. So on the outside, they look good. They've been painted over. They have a gloss to them. They're shiny. But when you look at the inside, what do you find? I mean, there is, there's almost nothing worse than if you're trying to have a snack, you know, like an apple. You ever had an apple and it looked all good on the outside and then you bit into it and it was like brown on the inside? And I mean, am I the only one? No, yeah. I mean, some of you are shaking your heads, right? I mean, that's like really awful because you're thinking I was about to eat this and I'm glad I saw that before I swallowed because I don't know what I just bit into. I mean, there's fruit that looks good on the outside, but on the inside, what's really happening? And I think that's one of the reasons why he says abide in me like 500 times in our text. Because if you're not really connected to Christ, the fruit that it looks like you're producing is really just going to be hollow or misshapen or diseased on the inside. Abide in me and the fruit that you are producing that is true fruit is going to look and be on the inside fruit that really changes your heart and that works to change other people's hearts. Abide in me. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We can do all these external things, but internally, if there is not that abiding in Christ's love, if, there's that not, if there is not that internal fruit, what are we really doing? If, now I'll just say this, sharing the gospel is difficult. Evangelism is not easy for us. Now, we can say all day long that it ought to be, and that's true. It ought to be. We know the right words to say. We know how we have been changed. We know the truth of the gospel, but it's still difficult. But what if we were to approach it from the vantage point of when we share the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel to those who do not yet believe? If we were to say it in such a way, do you, want, do you want love in your life? I mean, do you want joy in your life? Do you want peace in your life? I mean, I don't think anybody, especially in the Christmas season, is saying, no, I don't want joy and peace. I don't want love. I don't want gentleness. Now, some people would say I don't want self-control. Right? I mean, I think that's pretty clear, unfortunately. But faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, kindness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if you were to say to somebody who doesn't believe the gospel, do you want this in your life? Do you realize that this is the only true way to have these things in your life? I mean, I was... Brooke and I were at a dinner a couple nights ago, 
um, with other pastors and their wives. And the speaker was um, reciting for us a Christmas song. Um, was it Holy, Oh Holy Night? I can't remember. Uh, anyways, but there's a, a verse in there that stuck out to me. Um, it stuck out to him and I mean, still st- sticking out to me even now is the line that says, the weary world rejoices. I mean, I don't think that I even have to say this, but aren't a lot of us tired of what's happened over the last couple of years? <laughs> aren't a lot of us just tired from life in general? Aren't a lot of us at the end of the semester and saying, wow, like I'm tired, I need a break. Finals are about to come. I need a break. I want to have something to rejoice in. I want to have something, I want to see the end of the finish line, to run through it, to be able to rest. I think that some of what abide, when Jesus says that, is he's trying to get across is rest in me. You've got all, all these issues that all of us deal with in one form or another. Our kids have issues that we deal with with them in one form or another. Our family members have issues that we have absolutely no idea how to deal with. And we hear about it over the holidays. And we say, but I want you to not have to deal with that stuff anymore. We find true love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are all things that people want. I mean, isn't that what you want? I mean, if you have to think about it, at the end of the day, if my life can have these things in it, I mean, it doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter where I'm living. It doesn't matter in what manner of things I have or how much stuff I've got. It doesn't matter how my health is. If I've got these things, against such things, there is no law. Against such things, what can Satan do to us? What more could you ask for? So when we're thinking about how am I going to bear external fruit? How am I going to share the gospel with somebody? How am I going to proclaim the gospel? How am I going to evangelize? Think of the internal fruit that Christ intends to produce in each of us through his spirit and say, I want you to have what I'm growing in, in this true way of love, this true way of joy and peace and patience and kindness. And he mentions there at the end of our verses together. Verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Sometimes we can get so caught up and wanting to do another Bible study just so we can learn some facts. So we can learn some stuff. So we can know more about Moses and the burning bush. 
so we can know more things about ancient Israel kings and ancient Near East stuff that happened. But those facts, if they're not lending themselves so that you have joy, that my joy may be in you, if if you're full of all this knowledge and you and you don't have joy in your heart, what good is that knowledge? What good is knowing the right thing to do and not actually living according to it? See, in those instances, that's what we call a hypocrite. You know the right thing to do, and yet you don't do it. And all of us, at one time or another, some of us, more consistently than others, we fail. We fail to live out the true joy that Christ has come to give to us. He gives us this information, not just so that we can have information, not so that we can get a master's Bible degree or a doctorate, not so that we can just spout out facts from a pulpit, not just so that we can give all of these apologetic proofs to people who don't believe, and these are reasons why you should trust that Christ really did rise from the dead and He gives us this so that his so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. So when it came down to trying to figure out why why we are called the vine is because it ought to be on our hearts and on our minds consistently, these words, and that if we are not abiding in Christ and he's not bearing that internal and external fruit in our lives, what are we really connected to? What are we really doing? There are many people in this world who claim to be Christians who are bearing no fruit One thing that Jesus makes clear is if you are connected to him, truly connected to him, you will bear fruit. And so if there is no fruit in your life, there is no reason to be able to examine yourself and say, I am a Christian. Now, this does not mean that you have to bear fruit to do all these good works in order to then be a Christian. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by the fruit that we produce. And God doesn't take us away from our connection to the vine, from our connection to Christ. He doesn't remove us just because we've sinned, just because we bore a bad fruit. If we truly are connected to him, we are going to bear fruit. And we're going to help one another bear that fruit. That's why we exist. That's why we have the name that we have. It's why we exist, so that we can proclaim the gospel to those who have not yet heard and to one another, so that as we proclaim the gospel to one another, we are building each other up. I mean, because what more is going to build you up than saying, hey, look, 
you really screwed that one up. But remember the gospel. Like, remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember that Jesus isn't leaving you out there on that branch to wither away. No, because if you're connected to him, he's going to keep sending the water and the nutrients. So come back to Christ. Follow him again in this particular area of your life where you've fallen short, where I've fallen short in my past. We proclaim the gospel to one another. We build each other up by proclaiming the gospel. And then we send each other out to proclaim the gospel. And as we continue to do this, we can see the fruit being born in our hearts, the fruit being born through our actions, and the fruit being born even outside of us as we have sent other people outside to go and proclaim the gospel in other areas of the city, in other areas of or this town, in other areas of our country, and other countries. And we can be a part of that because if they're connected to Christ and we're connected to Christ, then, then we're connected to one another. That's why we exist. And I pray that's why we would continue to exist as we bear fruit for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these truths. But God, don't let them stay in our minds. Help them to be absorbed into our hearts. God, you are the one who is truly bearing the fruit in us. It is the fruit of the Spirit because, Spirit, you are the one who is producing in us Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So would you continue to do that? We pray for God's glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.